I'm going to talk today about stories and storytelling and et cetera, et cetera, and the importance of them and the strength of them. And you know, the greatest story ever told is God's story. Yeah? How he sent Jesus here with salvation, with forgiveness, huh? with peace, with victory, with grace, with peace, and everything that goes with all of that for you and for me. That's the greatest story ever told. And let's not forget that. Speaking of story, Philip Pullman wrote this. And it's not meant to be a spiritual... Uh, uh, it's not meant to be anything that would, that would spark you spiritually. But I, it really caught my attention, and I wanted to share this quote, very short quote. Pullman says, After nourishment, shelter, and companionship, stories are the thing we need most in the world. End of quote. Man, you know, that quote really struck home with me. And I have a message this morning, a little bit off, a little bit different, a little bit odd, and uh, a little bit different direction. It's one that I think will, uh, will get your attention. My prayer is that it will hold your attention and keep you right there. A message that I've entitled, The Power of Stories. Let me say this if you're a note taker, and if you like to get references and go through your Bible and so on, you're going to have fun this morning. And you'd like to have fun, don't you? You like to go to church and enjoy yourself, right? All right. Here's what Rudyard Kipling said. How many ever heard of Kipling? Okay, four people. If history were taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Did you ever watch the History Channel or watch a really good history documentary and say to someone, man, if they'd have taught history that way when I was in school, it would have been so cool. Yeah, how many ever did that? I know there are people who have because people have spoken to me like that. And, and, and I think Kipling, well before his time, was right on to something. He said, if history were taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. Why? Because stories are memorable and stories engage emotion and stories inspire action and belief and... I like this one. Stories remind people that they are not alone. Boy, that's important in our world. It's important in our day. And if that was not enough, Jesus told stories. Wow, did he tell stories. He told a lot of them. Have you ever wondered, and, and it's fine to be just honest about this, have you ever wondered why in his teaching he told so many stories? I got a one-sentence answer for you. I think you'll like it. I hope you'll like it. Here's my answer. Jesus would tell stories people understood. Huh? He was always down at their level. To help them grasp something they didn't understand. I love that explanation. He just came in where they were and expanded on something they already knew so they could under, start to understand something that they didn't know or they didn't understand. With that thought, can we pause for prayer? 
And thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us together safely this morning. And we just pray a blessing upon every single soul that's in this building today being ministered to. And as the word of God goes forth, we pray that hearts will be open and spirits will be lifted and, and folks will be encouraged. Lord, do your work this morning by the power of your spirit, by your word, and we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's my question to get us started this morning, because I believe stories are a great teaching tool. I don't know how many of you have sat under good teachers, other than like in churches or so on, but in other, like educational settings, either in school or high school or in college settings, some of them can be terrifically boring, but then others can be very, I had an American history professor when I was finishing off my bachelor's degree, and I couldn't wait to get to his class. Uh, Professor Leger, I couldn't wait to hear him talk about all these things that I was uh, really interested in, but really didn't understand. And so stories are a great teaching tool. So my question is this, what kinds of lessons can stories teach us? So I want to share several with you, if that's okay. I might get through the list, I might not. We might have to come back and revisit this, but we're going to get started. One thing that it can tell, he can, one lesson it can teach us uh, is a lesson, and I find so much of this in our world, I find it in my own heart sometimes, is a, it, it can teach us about anxiety. People are so anxious. People are so jumpy. People reach, jump to such conclusions. Uh, here's a story, and everything that I say as far as a lesson, I'm going to give you a story to try to illustrate it and bring, up, bring out a point. I'll give you some scripture to go with it. But the story goes that a man named Jack was driving on a dark country road one night when he got a flat tire. He looked off in the distance, and he saw the lights of a cabin in the woods, and he began to walk towards it. While he was walking, he kind of talked to himself, and he told himself that the person who answered the door would be an angry, irritated person. And he wouldn't like the interruption. If he lived way out here, he didn't want to be interrupted for sure. He didn't want to see anybody. The person would probably harm him. He was probably a truly terrible person. Jack kept walking and kept talking. Who else would live out in the woods away from, these, uh, from other people? Jack, in his walk to that cabin, convinced himself that the person who lived in the cabin was a menace to society. So when the door opened... Jack punched the man in the nose and ran away. Great verse. Get the verse. Proverbs 15 and 15. Let's read together. All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart... How many of you like a feast? How's about a continual feast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the point. We take situations, just so I, have to, I can illuminate that story of Jack. We take situations and we replay them in our minds, don't we? Don't we? Not, I'm not talking to Bob only here today. I get enough of this, but you must share it. We have conversations in our heads with people. And we build a case against them, though we don't really know what they're thinking. Someone said we tend to nurse, curse, and rehearse all these stories. Just like this guy nurse, cursed, and rehearsed the story about the guy named Jack, what things 
were playing in his head, I don't know. Well, I want to ask you then, what stories seem to continually play in your head all day? And what are you meditating on a lot? Get rid of the, the oppressed and the wretched forecasts. And those words are pretty strong, but they're pretty powerful too. So what lesson can stories tell us? Well, stories can teach us a lot about anxiety and about dropping a lot of this nursing, cursing, and rehearsing of stories that aren't even really factual, but we've talked to ourselves so long, now we've got ourselves convinced, and we've talked ourselves into believing that that's the truth. What other lesson can be taught from stories? Here's one, and this is, I'll probably revisit this, uh, accepting other people, accepting others. It probably isn't a name that any of you have heard of, and I'm not offended if it isn't, but a man by the name of Dr. Paul Tournier was a brilliant, he was, he was uh, a, a Swiss uh, Christian thinker and writer. He wrote some phenomenal stuff. And he, he was very influential in the area or the realm of, as a Christian therapist and counselor and during his time. Matter of fact, I've had the great privilege of studying uh, some of his methods, and it's just unbelievable, uh, his wealth of knowledge. Doctors from all over the world would travel to his home in Switzerland to learn from him. And Dr. Tournier wrote this. I thought this was very wonderful. He said, it's a little embarrassing for students to come over and to study my techniques. They always go away disappointed because all I really do is accept people. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, could we? And verse 10. And I'd like to, you know, I would like to read this, and I'd like you to read these verses with me. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another. Nice reading. Thank you. Thank you. Now, accepting of others, and let me be clear here, is not the same as approving, condoning, or even tolerating bad behavior. Acceptance is the, an act of the heart in which we recognize that despite somebody's behavior, he or she has value in God's sight, and we honor that value. But this can be a hard thing to do, because sometimes it's a very fine line here. There are many ways to communicate the, the acceptance uh, to some other person. One of them is to listen to them with patience and with a heart of compassion and receive them with love in the name of Jesus. Another is to refrain from mental condemnation and quick judgment. We seem to be pros at that, don't we? Don't we? Don't we? From constantly evaluating and analyzing those things keep us, and they do. They build a barrier and they keep us from loving and accepting. And this is so frustrating. We must take captive those thoughts of condemnation toward others and submit to God. As we draw near to Him, we ask Him in turn to love others through us. This is simple teaching. But oh my, I believe in the church and in our world today, 
these are principles that we really need. Not just need to know, but we need to be living, right? So what else can stories teach us? What other lessons? Glad you asked because I got a few more. Lesson number three, kind words. Arthur Gordon was cleaning out the family, I love the story, the family home. When he came across something he found to be of great value. It was a trunk full of family letters. And they chronicled the events of past generations in expressions of loyalty and affection and delight that were rarely verbalized in his immediate family. One writer said this, Have I told you lately what a wonderful person you are? Never forget how much your friends and family love and admire you. Another letter said, uh, You don't know how much your visit meant to us. When you left, I felt as if the sun had stopped shining. Arthur Gordon said, I don't know what generation of my family put a check on the release of such emotions, but I do know that it seriously interferes with one of the deepest of all human needs, the desire for acceptance and approval. Why then, wanting to hear those words so much ourselves, hear me friends, do we deny them so often to others? Why? Indeed. Why do we hold back? Why do we put up the wall? Why do we have the barriers? Why do we go another direction? Why do we close our eyes and ears? Why? On the subject of, of uh, kind words, I want us to go to Proverbs 16. And verse 24 says, let's read. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Ooh. Look at that verse. Just look at it for a moment. Look at those words. Pleasant words, or I like this word, gracious words. Either one, they're in different translations. Are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. That's a lot of power right there. And it doesn't cost anything, that power. Anybody can give words, kind words. I wonder how many here this morning would be willing to try it. I wonder who was here this morning would say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to say the positive things that I'm thinking and I'm going to bless somebody and Pastor Bob, I'm going to do it today. Because if you don't do it today, you aren't going to do it. How many would you say, I will use words to bring healing and sweetness to someone else just as soon as it's physically possible? See, we can all use it. That's why I'm suggesting that we all do it. We all need it, so I'm suggesting everybody else needs it too. Amen? With me? Keep going? Next lesson is, it'll teach us a lot about the power of negative thinking. At the monastery, a Trappist monk was allowed to say only two words every three years. After the first three years, he said to the brother superior, bad bed. Three years later, he came back. He said to the brother superior, bad food. Three more years of total silence, the monk said to the brother superior, no TV. 
Another three years pastor, uh, passed in the time. This time the monk appeared to the brother superior with his robes and sandals in hand, and he announced, I quit. And brother superior answered, it's no wonder you've done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> yeah. Proverbs 13 and 3. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. Everybody read. Those who guard their lips. This is important, this verse. But those who speak rashly will come to. Do you know your negative thinking coupled with unkind words could bring you totally down? Not a nice thought. Not a nice thought. So instead of complaining, you have to be retrained to think differently. Because if you don't think differently, you're not going to speak and act differently. It won't happen. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your, who knows? Good. Your mind. The same Bible says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, or admirable, do what? Good. Think on these things. When you're thinking on these things, you're not thinking on negative things. Great verses of Scripture. Hopefully we're practicing them in our lives. It doesn't say, I get this a lot, try to think on these things. Or try to dwell on the good stuff. It says, think on these things things. Would God tell us to do something that is impossible to do? No. You can choose what you let your mind dwell on. Some people in certain areas, it's like silo living. They just have certain things, certain ways they act and react, certain things they say. If you go by that point ten times a week, they're going to go right through the same song and dance ten times because they've never reprogrammed their mind. They've never taken this verse seriously, and they think, oh, God's given me something I can't do, so I'm not even going to try. You can choose what you let your mind dwell on. I'm going to say it again. You can choose what you let your mind dwell on. You know what happens when we dwell on things that we think uh, we don't think are, are, are harmful? And, and we think on them before we act because it almost becomes automatic to us. Oh, I'm around here doing, oh, man, guess what's going to happen next? <laughs> Negative thinking is such, it, it is such, um, it, it's, it's such a circular firing squad, <laughs> really. You know, you, you just, you, you, you just can't get away from yourself, and then you can't get away from your thoughts, and after a while you can't get away from the things you say and do. And you're trapped. So that's when you need to be retrained to start thinking differently. The thoughts that don't line up with Scripture. What do I do with those, Bob? What, what, how do I handle that? First off, go directly to prayer. If, because you know when you're having thoughts that you shouldn't have. You know when you're saying something in your head that you shouldn't say. And you need to go directly to God. In prayer. That's where prayer is so, so powerful. 
And then you need to get some Bible verses like those couple that we just shared and, and repeat them and memorize them and say, in place of that thought or those ideas that I just had, I want that all washed out and I want to keep saying this and I want to keep thinking on this and I want to whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely and admirable. I want to think on those things. I want to stay clean on those things. I want to make an impression on, on of those things. And then speak truth out loud to yourself even when negativity and lies and agreements with untruth start swirling in your brain. I don't know if you ever do this or not. I've done it when I'm alone many times, just talking to myself, just saying, I get that out of my mind, get that out of my head, get that out of my thought process. Don't let my spirit entertain that. Spirit of God, quash that, get rid of that, put it down, and, and, and let the Word of God saturate that vacuum. Try it. Don't let things in your life come to, that verse is strong, isn't it? Ruin. Whew. Pray that verse and set up those guards over your lips. Well, there's another lesson. We did a little singing about it as we opened our service today. Passionate living versus fear. And stories can tell us a lot about that. Sarah uh, uh, Brethnock tells of a business trip her husband took to a beach area somewhere in the world. I don't know where it was, some fancy place. And she and her daughter enjoyed the mornings while the husband attended workshops. One afternoon, it was announced that there would be elephant rides for the children in the hotel parking lot. <clears throat> her daughter, Katie, was delirious with excitement when she heard that announcement. Sarah told her, life is always full of wonderful surprises if we're open to them. Some mornings you get up not knowing what will happen and you get to ride on an elephant that day. And she thought this was a real teaching moment for Katie that she could just, just, she could just pour into Katie. Anyway, the conference got over. That experience was great. And when they got home, there was an invitation for Sarah to join a group of journalists like herself on a trip to Ireland. She quite honestly was tired of traveling by now, not really a spontaneous person, and she told them that she would probably not go to Ireland. Her husband, overhearing her, said, so you're not going to ride the elephant? So she decided to go. I got a verse for this, Psalm 34, 4, and some of you may have, may have memorized it and committed it to, to your heart a long time ago, but I think it's worth repeating, so will you read it with me? Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. Mm. Mm. I sought the Lord, another verse, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my sins and all my fears. Boy, I tell you, David had some time to think about things, and when he realized how gracious God had been to him, and how loving God was to him, and how forgiving God was to him, 
it just humbled them into the, into the earth. And he said, I, 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 I sought the Lord and he heard me. He, he said, say sometimes, I, I prayed, but I don't think God heard me. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. Now, he may not have answered the way you wanted him to answer. He may not have answered the way you were expecting him to answer. But he heard you, my friend. And it's no doubt in my mind, he answered you. Here's our point on this one. Living passionately involves a lot of pressure and a lot of risk. I mean, what if you, I mean, think of it. What if you fall off the elephant? Then the ride wasn't so much fun, was it? A writer named Ambrose Redmond wrote, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. Wow. I mean, that statement is just dripping with power and meaning. You might be afraid of all kinds of things. But listen to this. But if one of your kids was in danger, you'd be fearless. Also, don't you want to live believing that God is bigger than whatever you're afraid of? See, I think sometimes what we call fear is really a doubt or a lack of faith that God can really do what you'd like to see him do. You have to make a decision to stop letting fear win and stop holding on to your security blanket of anxiety and insecurity and show up with everything God has given you and join the battle against whatever opposes the redeeming work of God in this world and in your life. Take yourself less seriously and God more seriously. What kind of things will stories like that story teach us? Well, another lesson is the lesson of gratitude. Wasn't that many years ago, and I think they've repeated it every few years. There's a commercial that comes on television, and it begins with a black and white clip of Lou Gehrig being honored by the Yankee fans at Yankee Stadium on his last day of playing baseball ever. Now, Lou Gehrig didn't retire. His career was shortened by ALS, which is now called Lou Gehrig's disease. That's where the name came from. A very, and if you've ever known anybody who suffered with ALS, you know it's the most torturous thing you've ever watched. I have a friend now uh, who is going through it. He, he's the most positive person through the battle that I, I, I could ever imagine. Um, and I, I just pray for God to give him peace and strength. But it's a debilitating muscle disease that eventually it just basically squeezes you to death and stops the heart. What would you or I have said in the face of of Lou Gehrig's heartbreaking challenge. Lou Gehrig was at the pinnacle of his great career. He still holds many records in baseball. 
And here is how his speech begins, word for word. I could sit and listen to this over and over. It so inspires me. And here's what he said into that microphone that day. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. How could he say that? Gratitude, folks. Gratitude for all the gifts he'd been given, all the love he'd been shown by the fans, all the opportunities he had had in his life. He focused on the joys, not the losses. What an inspiration. That's what we call cultivating thankfulness or cultivating gratitude. And here's a verse, Colossians 3 and 15. Can we read it? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Yep. We weren't called to a life of confusion and chaos and bitterness and ruin. In Christ Jesus, we are called to a life of peace. We are called to understand what the peace of God really is. We are called to understand what peace with God really is. What a wonderful verse that. Here's the point. Being thankful doesn't come easy for some people. And I understand that. But God says to cultivate thankfulness. Now, how do you cultivate anything? How do you cultivate anything? You farmers in the midst, you gardeners in the midst, how do you cultivate anything? Well, first off, by the sweat of your brow, right? You work at it. Sweat equity, we call it. And you nourish it, and you watch it, and some of you talk to it, and you love it, and maybe even you hug it. I don't know. I'm just trying to say in a funny way, you do whatever it takes to make it thrive. You not only want to make it grow, you not only want to make it green, you want to make it thrive. Yeah. Whatever it takes, huh? Gratitude, do you know this? Gratitude, and this answers a lot of questions for me that I've wondered over the years. Gratitude comes from humility. You say, oh, I know a lot of people that aren't grateful and they're not thankful. No, because they're not humble either. Isn't that an interesting connection here? See, a proud man is seldom a grateful man for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. Henry Ward Beecher said that. God is good and merciful. Amen? The price that Christ paid so that you could be redeemed is immense. His grace is so amazing. You truly are the luckiest person on the face of the earth. And so am I. Give him glory. Amen. Anytime you hear of someone with Lou Gehrig's disease, remember the story, will you, of who Lou Gehrig was? 
and of his famous final game and final speech in front of 55,000 rabid <laughs> Yankee fans. It was a very solemn day in the Bronx, but he left with us one statement that's been used over and over and over and over to inspire millions of people. Because of his humility, because of his gratitude, we still quote Lou Gehrig today. Another lesson, a great lesson to learn from stories is the lesson of joy. I love this story so much. I love it so much because I think Every one of you sweet adults that are in here today, you, every person individually in their own compartment, you can identify with this. Not maybe with the actual details, but with something similar, we'll say. Okay. So there's a book called Breaking the Power. It was written by uh, Liberty Savard. And she says she was a very rough kid in her youth. And when she became a Christian, a lot of people just couldn't believe it. They just couldn't. But she said, God didn't just transform me. He totally transformed me and gave me later on a ministry. So she was excited to give her parents, a few years out, a 50th wedding anniversary party. Because it would be an opportunity to show old friends and family members still doubting how she had become an amazing woman of God. She prayed that that day would reveal to everybody in the family how good, uh, how good you can look when God is in your life and how much God can change a life from the inside out. Although she lived more than an hour away from the party venue, she got ready in plenty of time. That's important, isn't it, ladies? Ladies, isn't it important to get ready in plenty of time? Yeah, because we need plenty of time, right? Then we need some more time, right? And then we're ready. So she, she was ready. One last spray to the hair to set it, and off she'd be. Except that she grabbed the bug spray from under her sink instead of the hair spray. Quickly, she showered again. But now, there was no time to do her hair. She hopped in her car and it wasn't long before she realized it was overheating. It was a really hot day. She turned off the air conditioning, but still something was wrong. She had to get out and then flip the hood and keep adding transmission fluid every few miles. So she got to the party a tiny bit late, a little late, not too bad. Frizzy hair, picture it, oily hands. I don't know how they smelled. Red face. She would just take a few moments to freshen up. However, there was a problem in the heat. Her large jar of face cream she had in her bag had exploded, and everything in her overnight bag, including makeup and hairbrush and hairspray, was covered in white goop. Her only option now was to just go right out and enjoy the party. Just step right in there. Like she was the queen of the bell. Yep. There was nothing else she could do. She was just determined in her heart to have a great time with her mom and dad. And to laugh. Not at them, but at herself. 
Later, she told God she had covered the day with prayer, and it felt like it had all gone terribly wrong. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever been there. She had wanted to make such a good impression. She felt like God said this. Most of your family and friends remember how angry you used to be. They may never hear your testimony, but they saw living proof today of my power to change a life by the way that you handled that situation with humor and grace. I answered your prayers. Well done, daughter. What a story. I love that story. And I got a verse for it. 1 Thessalonians 5. Actually, it's 16 through 18, but whatever's on the screens, we'll read. Rejoice. 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 Who does that? Yeah. Pray. 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 Who does that? How we doing? 0 for 2? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For all circumstances, around all circumstances, in spite of all circumstances, through all circumstances, above or below all circumstances. What does that say? Give thanks where? In all circumstances, for this. It's the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. How many of us do any of those things the way it's prescribed? That's my verse for joy. Anybody can be joyful when things are going well. Sometimes God says, I think I'll stir things up a little bit. Like in that situation uh, with Liberty Savard. And then sometimes we have to go through whatever... His response is, and we have to wait on it sometimes. Vance Havner, an old evangelist, said, sometimes your medicine bottle has on these words, shake well before using. That's what God has to do with some of his people. He has to shake them well before they're usable. And that's so true. So my eighth lesson, oh, we're getting there. I've only got 49 of these. You said it didn't matter, just keep going. Lesson number eight, discipleship. And I put in a new term that I love for discipleship. What is it? You see it? No? What is discipleship now? Wow. I think for too long we thought of discipleship as teaching another lesson, be here on Thursday at 3 o'clock, bring your book, fill in the answers. If you've got any problems, call me. I'm here to teach you because I know everything. That's, yeah, yeah. I, I just think it starts here. If we're going to disciple people, we have to get in their lives with them and believe in people. Katie McCabe, who's a known writer, described her, her mentor. His name was uh, Charles uh, Savage, and 
You might know that name too. And as a man, she said, as a man, I would describe him as one who changed a room simply by walking into it. He believed so completely in his many students and his colleagues that we had no choice but to believe in ourselves. That's a powerful personality right there. That's a man of God right there. Inspired, encouraged, and challenged by her mentor, McCabe wrote that even though it was 15 years later, everything she did was an attempt to find, I love this statement, I've attempted to find the person that he saw in her. So when you believe in people, this is true discipleship and mentoring because as life goes on for them, they're going to keep looking for and attempting to find that person that you have validated and that you have said you see in he, him, or her. That's powerful stuff right there. I like that. In fact, I wrote that down. I like that. <laughs> in case I forgot to tell you. And I have a verse for that or two. And it's in Romans 16. You probably know these verses, 1 and 2. But let's read them anyway. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. <laughs> wow. Wow. Phoebe was... Quite a Christian, quite a lady, and she helped a lot of people, it's obvious. I'm just going to say that the, the thrust of this part of, and I, wanted, I would like to expand on this more and, and, and bring it to us more and maybe get more of us involved in real true discipleship, but for now I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. And first off, a challenge to open your eyes and look for a person in or around your life who needs a little time, a little friendship, a little faith. Somebody to whom you can give the gift of being a mentor or a supportive friend. Let me ask, is there a person maybe in your life who would be encouraged if you let them know that you believe in them? If you just let them know that you haven't given up on them. It's easy to get self-consumed and run over by our own to-do list. Oh, I got to do this, got to do that, too busy, got to go here, got to go there, got to pick up this, got to get that, got to drop that off. Then I got to go to a meeting, then I got to go back here, and then I got to do this. And my to-do list never ends. And we get run over by those things. It's easy to make excuses if we feel we aren't well-versed enough. Oh, oh, I could never disciple someone. I, I, I could never, met, I don't know stuff like you do, Bob. I could never. Well, I had some in a sandwich last night. Baloney. I love it, by the way. Now, that's what you just said. It was all baloney. If you have a pulse, check. Some of you I doubt, but... I'm not going to look in any one direction. I'm just looking around. <laughs> you can disciple somebody. You can mentor somebody. You can encourage somebody. You can lift somebody. You can let them know they have value. You can let them know that they're not alone and somebody is there to stand by their side. Supportive as a friend and as a, a brother or sister in Christ. So easy to get consumed with our own stuff 
But that scripture, ooh, that we read in Romans, the, the apostle commends someone who helped others and gave them hope, and every last one of us can be a Phoebe. We can all do that because we're all capable of doing it. And the, the apostle would never have written that if he didn't mean it for everybody. He's writing to the church there, Romans. I got a couple more, if you don't mind. Lesson number nine is faithfulness. In another book called Second Calling, Dale Burke writes that years ago she attended a conference. When it was over, her friend Bruce offered her a ride to the airport. As they were about to leave, another man asked if he could join them. As they drove away from their hotel, she and Bruce asked the man where he worked, and he mentioned he, was a, he worked for a Christian organization. And Bruce said, oh, I have fond memories of that group. I know the group you're talking about because I attended a retreat of theirs one time, and that's where I became a Christian. It was back in like the early 70s. It was over in New Hampshire. And Bruce went on to explain eventually his whole family became Christians, and they went into Christian work, and it was wonderful. And his sister was a, 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 a Wycliffe missionary. And some of you say Wycliffe, that's okay if you choose to be wrong. And Bruce himself became publisher uh, uh, and, and, he, and, and with a flourish. And he said, you know, that retreat had a, it had a lasting impact. And if you look at my family only, from me out, he said it had a worldwide impact. Because members of our family got saved along with me, and some of them were here, and some of them are over on the other side of the world, and some of them were somewhere else. He said, it's unbelievable. The man was silent. Dale and Bruce thought, well, I, we must be boring the poor guy. Maybe we ought to stop. Then the stranger quietly said this. said, it's interesting you mentioned that retreat. I led that retreat. It, it, it was the first time as a conference leader for me, and I felt like a total failure, zero. Until this very moment, I've always believed it was one of the biggest failures of my life. Dale Burke wrote this. What had seemed like the simple act of offering a ride to a stranger had turned into a powerful reminder that God uses our efforts whether we realize it or not. I may spend the rest of my life doing things that don't seem at all successful, yet only God knows the purpose. I'm called simply to be faithful. Will you say that with me? I'm called simply to be faithful. One more time so it gets in there. I'm called simply to be faithful. Once we get that, we've got it all. Here's a verse for you, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It is required of stewards that a man... Oh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2? Maybe I didn't get the right one. Anyway, here's the verse I want. We'll find it. Why don't you find it sometime? It is required of students of uh, stewards that a man be found. Do you know the next word? Good, faithful. It is required of stewards that a, and that's a steward is someone who has been given a purpose and is part of a plan and part of a, an overall scheme of things. It is required of stewards that a man or a woman, first, second, third, and only, be found faithful. Now here's the point. Sometimes in life, 
Maybe you've already gotten there. I don't know. You may feel like a failure in what you're doing. And I've had to preach this message, this type of message, over and over through the years to myself. And then realize that we need to be faithful. And it's not your job to figure out if what you do or what you did in the past really matters. We've all got a story. We've all got a past. We've all got things we did that we wish we hadn't done. We've all got things that we wish we had done that we didn't do. We've all got the certificates, the awards, the plaques, the trophies, blah, blah, blah. But whether that was really important or not, as we look to our past, that's the work of the Spirit to determine. See, your job and mine is to do our part. And doing what we are called to is the whole point in this part of the lesson. Faithfulness is doing what we're called to do. And I'll wrap up with this lesson. And you say, well, why would you do this one? Because I want to give you some positive spin on what I call negative words. And that's a lesson, boy, that stories can really help. A young woman confessed to an older man that she had a problem saying too much about people. He told her to go buy a bird and pluck out its feathers one by one, and that would be penance for her sin. Sometime later, she returned and told the man that she had followed his instructions. He said, now go back and pick up all the feathers. She said, I can't do that. The wind blew them all in a hundred directions. That's true, said the wise man. Neither can you recall the words that you've spoken. Need an additional picture of how impossible it is to take back something once you've said it? Well, then take a, a fresh tube of toothpaste and squeeze it hard and then try to put the toothpaste back in that tube. I know, it sounds funny. That's as impossible to do. It's the same with our negative words once they've found escape from our mouths. Here's a verse. Hope it's the right one. Proverbs 15 and 4. Oh yeah, let's read it. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue. These are some tough verses, aren't they? Think before you speak. Always be sincere when giving encouraging words. See, your words won't go far if your actions don't back them up. Encouragement and advice and advice are not the same thing. Oh, I told him he ought to, but you can move. And I spent an hour and a half giving him advice. That's not encouragement. Those are two different worlds. And, by, and try this. Be your best encourager yourself. The verse says perverse, which means cutting words, crush the spirit. Are you crushing yourself with self-hatred? When you feel discouraged, hand that discouragement over to God. Ask Him to help you. Stop wounding 
and maiming yourself and hurting others. Words cannot be re re uh, recaptured once they've escaped. We've said that. Fortunately, the same goes even for kind words. Ask God for help and try again. By His grace, your words will become a tree of life. Finally, I want to say two things very briefly. One, things, if you even learn just these last two little tidbits, it'll be good for you. One, things aren't always as they appear. So before you start commenting on the situation, it might help to have some facts. Matter of fact, it might even help more to stay completely out of it. Because 99.9% .9 pure, that stuff's not your business or mine either. So uh, things aren't always as they appear. And then number two, just to brighten your day, a day without laughter is a day wasted. I want to tell you a true story. All these have been true stories, but uh, I want to tell you the story of a lady who was flying, and, and I hesitate to tell the story because it's uh, the story centered in Australia, and if you know what's going on in Australia, that that is, I, I don't have a word for it. Awful doesn't get it. I mean, it's just absolutely horrific what's happening with those out of, uh, not only do they have those raging forest fires now, but they have all these brush fires that are going through. Anyway, this has nothing to do with that, and this story was written and told long before that, and I thought you'd like it. This lady was flying from Melbourne, if you know anything about the uh, geography of Australia, to, uh, to Brisbane. But unexpected, unexpectedly, the plane was diverted to Sydney. The flight attendant explained that there would be a delay, and if the passengers wanted to get off the aircraft, the plane would reboard in about 50 minutes. And so everybody had been on the plane for a while, and uh, everybody got off the plane except one lady who was blind. And a man, nice man, had noticed her condition as he walked by, and he could tell the lady was blind because her seeing eye dog was laying quietly underneath the seat there in front of her, and it had been doing that through the whole flight. Those dogs are just trained, so it's, it's just a miraculous what they can do. He could also tell she had flown this very flight before because the pilot of, of the aircraft approached her as he came back to the door and calling her even by name. And he said, Kathy, um, we're in Sydney for almost an hour. Would you like to get off and stretch your legs? And the blind lady implied, uh, replied, she said, no thanks, but maybe Max here would, would like to stretch his legs, meaning the dog. Um, picture this. All the people in the gate area came to a complete standstill when they looked up and saw the pilot walk off the plane with a seeing eye dog. And the pilot was even wearing sunglasses. 
people scattered. They not only tried to change planes, they were trying to change airlines. True story. Have a great day. Have a great week. Have a great year. Have a great life. And have a wonderful eternity. The power of stories. Our great worship team is going to come and join me. And we're going to lift up the name of Jesus so high that you'll think you've been translated. Thank you for listening and helping me this morning. Obviously, I needed a lot of it. God bless you. I love you.